Good morning to you. It's good to see you today. Uh, because I'm usually in the first service, I don't get to meet very many of you in the second service. And so I've seen some people today and then I asked them, is this your first time being here? And they go, no, I come here all the time. I go, oh, excuse me. <laughs> so just because uh, I come to the first service and you come to the second, that, that I should not assume that you don't come very often. And I learned that this morning. Well, we're looking today at um, the Apostles' Creed. And my, my part is to share, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Now, as we look at this um, section today, we begin in chapter 25. We, we really need to take a look at some things before us in chapter 24. Matthew's divided his book into five discourses or blocks of information. And previously, all the information that he gives has already been completed. But in this fifth section, uh, these, he tells about future events, things that are going to unfold as time goes on. Now, we began the Apostles' Creed and started with, I believe in. Do you still remember that back a little ways? And uh, not that I fully understand it, or not that I rel relatively uh, grasp it all, but I'm putting my, putting my faith and trust in Christ. So today's topic is he's coming to judge the living and the dead. I'm told about a judge in a small town in a Georgia community that uh, was presiding over a case, and uh, as he did so, the... Um, prosecutor came up and he called for his first witness, uh, an elderly lady, about 85 years old, and she was a member of the community there. And so he said to her, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she says, well, yes, I've known you since you were a little boy. And quite frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your wife, you manipulate people, and you talk behind their backs. You think you're a rising big shot when in fact you're drowning in debt. I know you quite well. Laughter went throughout the audience, and the, the lawyer was stunned and not knowing what to do. He pointed over to the defense attorney, and he said, he says, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? And she says, well, yes. I know him quite well. I used to babysit Mr. Bradley for his parents, and he's been a real disappointment also. He's lazy, he's bigoted, and he has a drinking problem. He can never sustain a healthy relationship, and his law practice is one of the shoddiest in the town. I know him quite well. The courtroom burst out in laughter, and the judge wrapped the, he wrapped the table or the desk there, and he wrapped the audience into uh, to silence, and he called both the counselors up to the front. And he, as they came forward, he moved the microphone out of the way. He leaned down in a low, menacing voice. He said, if either one of you idiots ask her if she knows me, you'll be fined and jailed. There are no altogether perfect judges on the earth today, but there's coming a one who is. All of the ones that lived here make mistakes. God is the righteous judge, and he will judge the nations. And those without Christ will give an account for every word, every deed, every thought, and every intention. Whoa, that's pretty serious. There's coming a one who is never wrong. He's the righteous judge. He divides the sheep from the goats. As we look in our text today, we'll see. Uh, nobody will say, well, wait a minute. Wait. 
Lord, you must have made a little mistake because I believe, I believe I believe over there with the sheep and not over here with the goats. No, he'll divide them correctly. In our text today, we'll be looking in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, we'll find some very interesting things about what Jesus is going to do and how this is going to unfold. Now, many people in life already have a worldview. They've determined that there's nothing they can do about their situation they're in. They were born into it. This is their lot in life. And so this is the way it's going to be. And uh, in fact, if you live in India, you're born into a caste system and you never get out. That's just the way it is. And uh, you might be elevated through reincarnation and you might become a pig in the next go round or you might become a snake or something along the way. And, but your life's already determined for you. Hedonists look at it just the opposite. They believe you should enjoy life in every single moment that you can and not deny yourself anything. Life is to be enjoyed. Therefore, you can do whatever produces fun, excitement, or pleasure. The more that you get, the better life is. And so they maximize their pleasure and acquire as much as they possibly can. Well, there's a major flaw with that. It's simply this. It doesn't last. Pleasure runs out. Keeps us from reaching for more. We get, we obtain, we uh, acquire things. Many times they sit on a shelf or in a box or stored in the garage. And in a few years or maybe a few months, we have yard sales and we give it away or just plain throw it away. <clears throat> it leaves people searching for answers. More cannot fulfill. Pleasure runs out. Well, believers know better. We, we know that God is sovereign and he controls events. He has lavished us with gifts in his love. I just love that word lavish. It's not like the... The ladies, they go to the perfume shop and they take a little spray and they on their hand and they rub it together and they go, he's lavished. He doesn't give us a mist of his love. He's lavished. He's, other translation says he's poured out. In fact, in 1 John 3, 1, it says, see how great a love the Father has. He's lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. If you're a Christian today, you're a child of the King. Now, I want to tell you, that's better than being the president's son. Amen? <laughs> You're a child of the king. It doesn't really matter whose president's son it is. You can't get any better than being the child of God, one of God's special people. Today, he's, someday he's going to reward Christians for work done in, for his glory, that we're responsible to him. When he, has, when he commands us to do certain things, we in gratefulness to him, we choose to obey and to love him and then offer our love to others. Now, most people like to talk about nice things. Heaven is one of those, and it's a nice place. And it seems rarely that I've ever gone to a funeral that, that hasn't been, that they say the person that's Christian is going to heaven. Despite all the things that they've done, they were a really good person, so God's going to let them in. And I've listened to the stories and some people and the testimonies that people gave, and I thought, how in the world will that guy get in? But he's going to heaven, according to the people that give testimony. Well, 
I've had a few dealings with judges. I've had, I said in the first service three, but I've had at least four occasions. And, and one of them was very, very positive. Two were neutral. And one of them that, that, that got into sort of a little debate with the judge, not meaning to. And I was, he asked me what I did, and I told him I was a pastor. And then one of my responsibilities, because he asked me what my responsibilities were, and I said, well, it's just to sit and listen to people. Husbands and wives usually talk about problems, and I would just sort out and to judge what was right and what was not. And he took offense to that word judge, that I was a judge. And I said, well, sir, it's really semantics. I mean, all of us on the way down here today, we had to make a judgment call which lane to move into if it's safer where there wasn't. Well, he didn't like that particular answer either. And I just didn't say, you the judge. Well, I've, next thing I know, the, the uh, defense attorney says, number six, and the judge says, number six, you're excused. <laughs> and, and I was gone. Well, so be it. But nobody likes to think about, I'm going to sit in front of the judge, and today he's going to judge me. Nobody likes suffering. We don't like to talk about suffering, and most people don't want to hear about our suffering. But it's through suffering that we discover that the Lord, through his spirit, matures us by trials or through the trials and tribulations that we go through. And we become what he wants us to be as we endure under these trials with his help. It's one of the ways that we push back on the world view of life and its cultural narratives. The world needs your testimony. It's critical. I have a friend who works in, in the oil field, and he said, man, there's two things I don't talk about. I don't talk about religion. I don't talk about politics. He said, I'm just going to do my job, and when it's all done, I'm going to retire, and then I'm going to fade into the scenery. And I said, well, then who will ever know that you're a Christian? He goes, I hope nobody. I said, well, that's just contrary to what the Bible wants. He wants you to be vocal. He wants you to share the love of Jesus. He wants you to interact with people. How does a lost world come to Christ if the Christians don't speak up? Well, God often uses our pain and our sorrow. You know, everybody that I know of responds with joy and gladness when good things happen to them. I mean, after the service, uh, Brother Truett over here is going to give me $1,000. I'm elated, you know. I'm just as happy as can be. But if he slips me a note that says, oh, I got this by uh, mistake, and it's to you, it's from the IRS, you owe them $10,000. I'm not very happy about that. <laughs> what the world wants to see is how do you respond when tough times come? Everybody responds when something good happens. How do you respond when negative things happen? Oh. God often uses pain and sorrow to help us to become like him. Today, we're not going to answer when or how this judgment event in the future will occur. Nobody knows that for sure anyway. But rather than, rather how does this enable us to see and understand God's criteria? The separation of those who claim to be as saints from those who are not. Studying this passage hopefully will help us discover who the community of believers are and, and those who are not. Now, this verse, next verse really gave me some uh, thought-provoking moments this week. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus speaking, said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. 
Many will, will prophesy and cast out demons and perform miracles, and he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They were able to what? Cast out demons? They were able to perform miracles? They prophesied? And he said, I never knew you. What's the key phrase? He that does the will of my father. I can claim all kinds of things. I can say many different things. I can act a certain way. But Jesus said, he that doeth the will of my father. Let's look at our text. I'll read to you from Matthew 25, 31 and following. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and the, all the angels with him, then he will sit on this glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as his shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The king will say to those on his right, Come, ye who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer and say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in and, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brethren of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And when, and when they themselves also will answer saying... <laughs> Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, or did not take care of you? And he will say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now this is the fifth discord called the Olivet teaching, Jesus sitting on the mountainside, if you look back in chapter 24 and before, and he's answering questions. And the disciples ask him the question in Matthew 24, 3, when will these things be? And what would be the sign of your coming? And when is the end of the age? And Jesus is going to respond. This is what it's going to look like when the temple is going to be destroyed. Heresy begins to rise. Christians begin to get persecuted. What is it going to look like when the day of the Lord comes? This is what it's going to look like. These things are going to unfold. And Jesus goes on and he gives parables about getting ready or being ready for the Lord's return. And he speaks of 10 virgins, five foolish ones and five wise ones. And then he goes on to say that they were, some were ready and some were not. 
And then he goes on and tells a parable about the master who had three servants. And he gave the servants one, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two talents. And to a third, he gave one talent. Now, a talent is worth the equivalent of 100 pounds of gold. So he's not making a small investment because if you multiply that 16 ounces times, you know, what it's worth today, 1,800 or better, he has a hefty amount of money, and then you multiply that times 100, that's hefty. And then the guy that got five, you multiply that times That's a big investment that he gave to each one of these people. Well, one of them multiplied his, and uh, he had five, he made five more. The second one multiplied his two, and he made two more. And the third one that had one, he hid his in the ground. And the master came back, he thoroughly and severely rebuked him. In fact, if you look up in the passage there, uh, you can see he was not pleased with him at all. And uh, in fact, in verse 28 through 30, you can see what he says about that in the same chapter. Well, the emphasis that, that Jesus is trying to say to them through these the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the uh, three servants is simply this. Be ready. Be on the alert before you know not when the Lord is going to return. For he's coming in an hour when you do not expect him. How many of you have ever been robbed? Anybody? Somebody's broken into your house or your car? Now, if you knew when the thief was coming, you'd be ready. Oh, yeah, the thief's going to be here in 10 minutes. We want to have the sheriff be right here waiting for him when he comes. If we knew, we'd be ready. Jesus said, I'm coming when you do not expect, like the thief in the night. So be ready. So our topic today is he's coming again. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. If you'll get a little picture of that, you say, well, how would this, some of this take place? Look at Matthew 24, 29 and read what he says about in the coming. And it's some, what's going to take place in the sky and the thundering. and the, Everybody will know when Jesus comes. You won't have to say, well, you know, I, I didn't think I heard that. How many, how many have ever heard a sonic boom? Or maybe this, how many of you have heard the sound barrier broken? And it's this big sound when you break the sound barrier, about, I don't know what it is, 600 miles or an hour or so, and you can break the sound barrier? Well, if you look at chapter 24 and you read that, there'll be no mistaking when Jesus comes again. He's going to crash the earth's atmosphere, and there, there'll be no dispute because he's the reigning monarch of the universe. He's the great I am of Exodus. He will be surrounded by his angels. What a fantastic picture that's going to be. Wonderful picture. Now, during the tribulation period, all the nations will have an opportunity to hear and receive God's message. The gospel of kingdom will be preached to all the nations. Some will reject God's messengers, thereby rejecting Christ. The gospel will be preached to the entire world, and then comes the judgment. Judgment, nations will be judged, individuals of every nation. Well... Verse 32 says, and before him shall be gathered all the nations and he shall separate them one from the others. The shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Nations meaning the Gentiles. And it is a neuter, it's in the neuter. 
gender and the word them in the same verse is, is in the masculine simply means that the nations will be gathered before Jesus Christ and he will judge them as individuals. Now, 2 Timothy 4.1 says, I solemnly call on you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who is going to judge those who are living and those who are dead. I'm simply saying this morning, there's coming a time, we know not when, when Jesus is coming again and judgment's coming. Now, there's an er error to avoid if you read this superficially at this text because it seems like, oh, well, you get to heaven by doing good deeds. Look at all the good deeds they did. No, we know from all of scripture that that's not true. And nobody in the history of this world has ever been saved by good works. That's heresy. Anybody tells you that, that you can make it to heaven by good works? No. Now, are good, are good works a good thing? Oh, man. Yes. Rewards are given out for good works. Done because we're inspired by the Spirit of God and he leads us to do those, yes. But let's look at this judge today. Number one, the judge is God is full of mercy. Full of mercy. The Bible tells us in Titus 3, 5, but when the kindness and love of our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works of righteousness which we have done, but because of his mercy. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not that of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Can you imagine some guy going to heaven and goes, man, I've been working all my life. By the time he paid up, I want to look and see what I got stored up for him. And he better pay me because, man, I've been working hard down here. In fact, he's lucky he's got me up here. I'm a sterling example of what it ought to be. Can you imagine anybody saying that before the Lord? I doubt that would even enter somebody's mind when you stand in the presence of God and you've got these angels there and poof, judgment coming. Well, it goes on to say in that verse, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to good, good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God's workmanship, we get our word poem, so God is writing on our hearts and he's writing a poem. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We've been placed in him. And because of that, we're ordained to do good works. Works that we do without Christ, self-righteousness. Good deeds won't save us. People sometimes tell me, but you know, I do, I try to do good things. And then he lists off a number of things they do. And I said, well, those are wonderful things. But I said, let me ask you this question. Do you ever sin? And they go, well, yes. I said, well, there's no sin in heaven. How are you getting in? Well, I've done a lot of good things. In, no, 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 no. The sin has to be paid for. And all those sins you've accrued, how are you going to get in? Well, I, I'm, you know, well, God, look at the totality of what I've done and, and, he, and he'll weigh it. no. No, he won't. You cannot earn righteousness. So God made a way. He lived a sinless life through his son, was crucified, died, was buried, descended to hell, and rose again on the third day, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. He will not accept you or me on the merits of our own work, but on the work that Jesus did on behalf of us on the cross. He takes no pleasure in punishing people, even the wicked. 
Listen to what it says in Ezekiel 33. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their wicked ways and live. Turn, turn, he says. Turn from your wicked ways. Why would you die? Listen to me. Has God been merciful to you? Can, can you raise both hands with that? You think about the sins that you accrued when you were young, when you were, let's say, a child. And then you got into your teenage years, and you probably tripled it within teenage years. And then you got out of high school, and you may have doubled that again. And uh, we've racked it up. Thank you for God said, well, that's 2 million 14 out. That was your total. I'm sorry. You, it's no more for you. You're out. God's merciful. How many times have you tried, but you just fell short of the expectation you had? You did something you should not have done, but you did it anyway. Something you have done. Sometimes we do something that we just, we just failed to do it. We knew what to do. Then there's this time when we're just flat out rebellious and we didn't want to do it, so we didn't do it. So there. <laughs> And yet God is merciful. We just rebelled against him sometimes and just said, I'm not going to do it. Even as Christians, sometimes we say that. There's a second thing about God. He's not only merciful, but he's just. Second Corinthians 5, 9 and 10 is one of my favorites. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home or in the body. We are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This judgment is called the judgment seat of Christ. The judge is honest. He's true. He's loyal to his own. He's honest to the bone. By the way, the going rate, I said in the earlier service, the going rate was about $5,000 to $7,000 for a I said judge, but it's for an attorney. And I know well about that because I've had to pay that a few times. And uh, it costs a lot. But I want you to know you've got a judge. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 1, he says, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's there pleading on behalf. As the devil comes and he accuses you, the, the Jesus says, yes, but he's been covered by the blood. And the devil brings up something else, and Jesus said, yeah, but he's been covered by my blood. And he brings up some more and more, and yes, Jesus says, but he's been covered by the blood. I don't know about you, but it's just wonderful news to me. Covered by the blood. And Jesus doesn't lie. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he would lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he not said and will he not do it? Has he, or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Can you imagine if God didn't punish sin? All the beatings and the thefts and, and gossip and slander and greed and lust and anger and wrath and the crippling that goes on, the maiming, the murder and adultery. You could go down a whole list of stuff. Can you imagine if he just said, well, you know, you didn't break any bone, you didn't break any of your bones, and yeah, you got a couple of black eyes, you know, but there's not any made of blood, blood vessels that busted. Yeah, let's just give him a little tap on the hammer and give him a little attaboys. You see if you can do better next time. Where would there be any sense of justice in that? 
there would be no righteousness in him. But there's coming a day at the judgment seat of Christ where Christian deeds not be punished, but Christian deeds will be rewarded. The judge will reward Christians for what they have done for his glory. Motives are going to be thoroughly examined. Deeds will be tested by fire, and that which is foundational will be, uh, be precious as gold, silver, and precious gems. Other deeds of wood, hay, stubble, and um, wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up. No reward for deeds that cannot stand the test of fire. Those will all be burned up. But that which we did for his glory because we had the right motive, those count. And we're rewarded for those. Sins are not brought up. Isn't that a great thing? Sins have been paid for for the Christian. That's just such a wonderful thought. Here's a wonderful verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, my goal or my ambition, some translations say, my goal is to be pleasing to the Lord. Not that I, Lord, help me to keep those 10 commandments today. Forget that. Help me to be pleasing to the Lord. Have you ever prayed sometimes in the morning, you got a busy day, you got a lot of stuff to do. You say, Lord, please help me, to, help me not to do something stupid today. <laughs> you ever pray that? Or please help me not say something dumb that I'll regret. Help me today be pleasing unto you and to live in such a way that I show forth the love to other people. And I might be a blessing to them. Well, we know that God is merciful. We know that God is just. But thirdly, he's impartial. Now, keep in mind, there's three groups in this account that we're reading about today, and it'll help us solve this problem. There are sheep, goats, and brethren. Well, who are these people that Jesus is calling brethren? It seems likely that the believing Jews from the tribulation period, these are people who hear the message of the 144,000 and trust Christ. Since the believing Jews will not receive the mark of the beast, they'll be unable to sell or buy anything. So how in the world will they survive in those seven years? Through the loving care of Gentiles who have trusted Christ and who have cared for those brothers. Now you see where this fits in about when you did this or when you did that or when you did this or when you did that to me. Verses 33 through 39. The sheep, his followers, are placed at the right hand of the goats on the left, and he'll say to the sheep, come, you are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Why? Well, they received him and did acts of kindness during Israel's distress. The sheep asked the question, the king responds, you bless me by feeding me and doing all of these things and visiting, clothed me, and all of that. And the interesting thing about this judgment is that the sheep are surprised by what they hear. And they said, uh, we don't remember doing anything to you, Lord. And, and he, but their motive is not for reward. Their motive is for, because they sacrificially love those in need. Now, in, the Gentiles took their own lives in their hand when they welcomed, these Gentiles took the lives of the people in their own hands when they welcomed the homeless Jews and they cared for them. Jesus was saying to his disciples in, in Matthew 10, 40, he that receives you receives me. So that will apply to these brethren also. He invites the sheep to come, enter into the kingdom of heaven and enjoy the fruits of their labor. Now the goats were judged because they did not trust Jesus Christ and gave evidence and would give evidence of that faith. 
They did not care for the brethren during the tribulation period. They apparently received the mark of the beast. They took care of themselves and their own people. They had no time for newfound Christians or the Jewish remnant that was suffering on the earth. Sins of omission as well as sins of commission. Things that we should have done that we didn't do and things that we did and we shouldn't have done. The disciples were asking, when, Lord, is this, all this going to take place? Well, the 144,000 Jews sealed at the time of the Great Tribulation will go out through an entire world and they'll preach the message of the gospel, which is to receive Christ as the sacrifice for their sins and be ready for his immediate coming. Some nations are going to reject Jesus. The Antichrist will have God's messengers butchered and slain and sawed in two and, and none of atrocious ways in which they would die. And anyone who would dare give them a cup of cold water ran the risks of their own life being in jeopardy. That's how bad it was. In fact, in the tribulation time, they will run, the Christians and will run and hide in various parts of the world. Now, notice the goat individuals ask the same question. If you compare the two judgments, you see, you discover some interesting truths. To begin with, the sheep were blessed by the father. The sheep inherit the kingdom and the, and the inheritance is based on faith. On faith, and they get there by birth through Jesus Christ. Because they were born again through faith, they inherit the kingdom. The kingdoms are prepared for those saved individuals. Now, the goats ask this same question. Lord, when, when, when did we see you hungry? When did we see this and that? And when did, why? You know, what's that all about? He said in verse 45, I say to you, to the extent that you did, it, did not do it to the least of one of these, my brethren, you did not do it to me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the, right, the righteous would into eternal life. The goats were rejected, sentenced because they rejected God's message and God's people. Now, if there is a day of reckoning coming, and each man will give an account of himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 25, 41 does not state that the everlasting fire was prepared for the goats. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation 10 verifies that. And in the text, verse 41, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. In other words, God never prepared hell for people. There's no evidence in Scripture that got predestined people to go to hell. Now, if sinners listen to Satan and follow his ways, they end up where Satan is destined to be, in the everlasting fiery torment of hell. You think the Holocaust was bad? I've uh, viewed some of the pictures of the Holocaust and I've watched some of the things, uh, these videos and these documentaries. It was horrific. It's, I was, I would say, horrible. I guess you cannot imagine people being so cruel to other people to make them do that. That they burn bodies 24-7 and the ashes went into the sky. And the emaciated bodies they threw into the graves and just covered them with bulldozers and horrible atrocities injected them with all kinds of experimental drugs to see how they would perform. It was horrible. Absolutely horrible. Hell will be far worse than that. Far worse than that. You can't even hardly imagine how bad that it's going to be. The Bible says, it is important to man once to die and then the judgment. Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15 says this. 
and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maim, lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin and tear it out, it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, for everyone will be salted with fire. Te- the test of fire again. Deeds tested. This is a horrible picture of what hell's going to be like. Many places talk about the gnashing of teeth. In fact, in the verses right before the text that we read today, talked about there'll be uh, the darkness and there'll be torment. And some places talks about the gnashing of teeth and and the cries and the, the continual pain and agony that's going on in darkness. Can you imagine just for a moment, we probably couldn't take it and never forget it and might have nightmares. Could you imagine if God just opened up, pulled the curtains of hell back for five seconds and you and I got to take a look. Our life would be changed forever. You would never look at people the same way again. The torment and agony that's going on. I don't know how many of you have ever been around burning flesh, but it is horrible. It's, it's putrid. There's going to be eternal agony in hell. I'm not talking about it for a day, eternal. Screams and crying. Because I was a pastor, I often went to the hospital. One time I was there with a parishioner and we were talking and for about five minutes, this lady two or three doors down, I can't remember how far, but she was there moaning. And I, after a few minutes, I went to the nurse and I said, can't you do something for that lady? She said, well, the doctor has prescribed medication and she can only get the things and she got about another hour ago. And I said, another hour? And the agony that went on, I'll tell you, I was just, whew. Can you imagine that going on in hell for eternity? And people screaming and the agony that's there? And there's no hope of escape. None. The Bible says in darkness they were thrown into. Can you imagine that? It's dark. You can't see, but you can hear people screaming and you can smell flesh and it's just a despicable atmosphere. No hope of leaving. Everlasting punishment for those who reject Christ and eternal life for those who trust. His sheep will be ushered into the kingdom to share God's glory. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thought? You're an ambassador today. You didn't know you were so elevated, did you? Could be Ambassador Susie, or Ambassador John, or Ambassador Kathy, or Ambassador Don. You're an ambassador for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg with you, we plead with you, we urge you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Why? What's the eternal destiny? Heaven or hell? We urge, we urge you, we plead with you, we beg with you, beg you to be reconciled to God. 
Second Thessalonians 1 9 says this. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Never to see something good again. Never to see God again. Never to feel the warmth of God's love. Never. No hope. Eternity without God and everlasting darkness while the church will be reigning with him. Let me give you some takeaways for today. Number one, no matter where you are with God, he's not finished with you yet. Isn't that good? <laughs> he's not finished with you yet. I'm knocking on the door being 73 and I'm so glad he's not through with me yet. I know a number of you we express the same thing, that today he loves you. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. He didn't come to condemn the world. The Bible says the world was already condemned. He came to proclaim good news. You can be rescued from yourself. One way your love for God is revealed is by your love for others. So in the process of God rescuing us, we can prove our love to God by our love for other people. Find out where God wants you to do and determine what talent you've been given, whether you're a one-talented person or a five-talented person. Listen, if you're worried about the one talent, you can come join me and just two ones will get together. Doesn't matter. Whatever God's given you, use it for his glory. I remember going to a church one day, or to an office one day, and this young lady from a denomination, she was all excited. So I asked her, you seem happy today. She goes, yeah, yesterday was Sunday, and I went to church, and I'm feeling really good today. I said, that's great. Tell me about that. And she told me, and I said, well, that's wonderful. I said, so what do you do there? She said, do? And I said, well, yeah, you're involved in some kind of ministry. She goes, Ministry? She says, I go and I get an emotional charge every week and that gets me through the week. I didn't laugh, didn't say anything. I just said, well, I'm happy you went. Her idea was she goes to show up at church and she gets this emotional plug and she's good. Don't want to worry about anybody else, nothing else. I have no responsibility, nothing here, you know. I'm good. I thought, wow, that is one immature child of God, if she was one. No matter where you are, God's not finished with you yet. Praise God. Number two, judgment's irreversible. Judgment follows as God judges the world. He's not sending horrific cataclysmic judgments today because it's a day of grace and the message is be reconciled to God. The heavens are silent because men's sins have already been judged at the cross and one of these days he's coming. Number three, Choose heaven. It's where God lives. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Revelation talks about that. If you were to die, do you know today for sure? I'm not saying do you know about God or I know some things of God. Do you know him? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? There's going to be no signs given for when, before Jesus returns. They've all been given. Without Christ, our man or woman is heading to hell. 
Listen to me. I'm not laughing about that. I'm not smiling. Because that's a horrible thought. Devastating thought. You give some credence to that that ever and ever and ever. Number four is Christians. Are you busy pleasing the Lord? Are you listening to his spirit this morning? He's speaking to you even now. He's wooing you by his spirit. Might our prayer be, Lord, change me. Make me willing to joyfully love and listen to you, the, vo the voice of your spirit. I truly want what you want. The question is, is my life pleasurable to the Lord and am I a blessing to others? And finally this, am I a witness for him? Do you realize as God's ambassadors, you're the answer. God doesn't have a plan B. <laughs> We're it. Our job is to share the good news. We're the good news, sharers. We're the bearers of the good news. Are you speaking of Jesus in your conversations? Ask God to give you someone that you can speak to this week about him. I believe that God is looking to hook up people that love Jesus with those who need Jesus. Amen? Isn't that what it's really about? Here's somebody who loves me. There's somebody who needs to hear about me. Let's put them together. Ask God to lead you somebody that you can share Jesus with this week. And keep on asking him. Don't put it off. Well, you know, I'll get around to that. No, ask him. Keep asking him. Do people know that where you work that you're a Christian? If they do by your actions, at some point you need to talk to them about the Lord. You're the one that God's put in their life. Listen, praise God. If you work a bunch of people that are not Christians, praise God, man, they need you. Man, they need you. They need to somebody, they need to see somebody to walk with him. And somebody that lives Jesus and somebody that's different. People are looking for answers and they're trying everything in the world out there from one drug to another and one pleasure to another and they can't find anything that lasts. And you've got the answer and I've got the answer. Are you speaking of Jesus in your conversations? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your great love toward us. Thank you that you're so merciful. Thank you that you're so just. Thank you that you know all the circumstances that we go through and the trials. Even though you know all of our failures, you still love us. Lord, we are grateful as we know how to be. Help us to express that in our love toward others. Help us to find the gift that you've given to us or gifts and be a blessing to somebody else. Help us to remember that when the judgment comes and the verdict is given, it's not irreversible. It's not. That's it. Eternity hangs in the balance. You told the disciples to watch, to be alert, 
and to pray. Thank you for what you want to do today. And Lord, for the person here that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, they know information about you. (laughs) They've heard various things, but they don't know you, not intimately anyway. I pray for that person today would come say, tell me how I can know this Jesus who loves me. I pray for the Christian today that, oh, Father, help us to be the witness you've called us to be. We're your choice. We're your ambassadors. And may we point others to Jesus. We ask it in your son's precious name. Amen.